0: morning as we come to our time of prayer here at the altar i know that many of us bring a lot of different needs and concerns upon our hearts as we come into this time of worship together and we will give you the opportunity here as we begin our time of worship together uh, to be able to come to the altar and to spend a time in prayer and maybe you're there at home and uh, just make that that place in front of that chair that couch make that an altar and spend some time just you and the lord uh, alone together and so this morning with every head bowed and with all eyes closed, we want you to know that this altar is open this morning. If you'd like for someone to come and pray with you, feel free to do that. But let's spend some time with the Lord and pray together. Father, as we come before you this morning, we do thank you for the fact that you are the Savior and the Lord who knows our every need and who meets our every need because you are the one who went to the cross of Calvary, and Lord, you died in our place, and Lord, you rose again. And so, Lord, whatever it is that we may be facing, whatever the circumstances may be, whatever the situation that stands in front of us uh, that seems so overwhelming Lord we recognize that in comparison to who you are and in comparison to your awesome might Lord that it all pales in comparison and Lord we know that you not only hear our prayers but Lord that you respond and you meet us at the point of our need and so Lord this morning we lay it all down at the foot of the cross and ask for you to take it from us and Lord help us to trust you help us to not pick it back up again and try to take it home with us but help us to trust you to take care of our every need, Lord, to meet the need of of that broken relationship, of that financial need, of that health difficulty, but also, Lord, we, we lift up the needs of our loved ones who we know are lost this morning, and we pray even now that you would touch their hearts, help them to recognize their sin and their need for a relationship with you as the Savior, and Lord, we pray for salvation in this place, even this morning, to your honor and to your glory. For Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. and um, the last verse in this song is just, it gives me goosebumps. So, um, if you know it, I'd love for you to sing along. It's called Hymn of Heaven. Hello. amen thank you hannah what wonderful worship again this morning uh, wonderful to see uh, three generations uh, up in the choir this morning and uh what a, what a joy that is and uh, students if if the lord has given you a voice you join some of these other students up there it, it was great to see teenagers in our choir this morning and a lot of opportunities for you to get plugged in uh, this morning if you will turn me in your bibles to matthew chapter 19 Matthew chapter 19, and we'll also, once you get there to Matthew chapter 19, if you got a bookmark or whatever, you can put that there. And we'll also be looking at Genesis chapter 2 this morning. Those are going to be our our two main uh, places that we're going to be looking. We'll look at some other stuff, but if you can be in those two different places, I I think you'll be ready. Matthew 19 and Genesis chapter 2. This morning we're going to be looking at marital math. One plus one equals one. And just so you know, I, this this message is is very heavily influenced by one of my favorite preachers, Dr. Jerry Vines. And if you've ever had the opportunity uh, to hear him preach or to read any of his work, he is just a wonderful communicator, preaching and his writing. Uh, but this is heavily influenced by one of his messages that's that, which was called "Formula for a Fantastic Family," and uh, got a lot of ideas there. But uh, Uh, The Lord's going to, I believe, speak to you in a powerful way this morning uh, through these passages today. And so as you're turning there to Matthew 19 and Genesis chapter 2, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. The opportunity that we've had to be able to lift up our hearts and our voices to you and to sing about who you are and what you have done, what you accomplished at the cross and what that means to us because you died there to pay our sin debt and you were dead and buried but you arose on the third day to, to sing of your victory. It's been awesome. And we thank you. And we feel it when the Spirit moves in such a powerful way in our hearts and in our lives. And, and he certainly has done that this morning. And today I pray that as we talk about marriage and family, Lord, that our hearts will be stirred to recognize that, Lord, we can't do this on our own. Uh, marriage is too hard. Family life is too hard to do in and of our own strength. It takes a supernatural strength that comes from you. It comes from uh, allowing you to dwell within us and to have complete and total control as, as Lord of every aspect of our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to move and to work. And, Lord, I pray this morning that there's even one here that doesn't yet know you as Savior and Lord, that they would recognize that they cannot be the husband, they cannot be the wife, they cannot be the son or the daughter or the brother or the sister that you've called them to be. Without that relationship with you, it's going to be lacking. They cannot do it in their own strength. And so, Lord, I pray that even today would be a day of salvation. I know I am a very weak vessel, and I pray that you might hide me behind the cross, that only you'd be seen, and only you'd be heard. For the Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, there was an article that was written several years back, um, but in that article, it spoke of saved folks um, at the point where they believed that their life was, was certainly going to end, whether it be in, in, before an accident or other issues, but basically near-death experiences of saved people and what took place at that time and the article revealed the truth that when the end of life seems to be certain that people of faith inevitably have their minds turned not towards anything other than faith and family and in that article the example was given of a man who uh, was having a lot of difficulties at work uh, he had great responsibilities in his company, uh, but things weren't going well. In fact, weren't going well to the point where he had been called in uh, by the CEO to meet with him. And so uh, he was very concerned. He, he was not knowing what this was going to mean as he made all of the plane arrangements to, to fly to headquarters. And, and as he made that journey, even on the plane, he was thinking to himself, what's going to happen when I, when I have to talk to the CEO? He, he was pretty certain. That he was going to lose his job and so that was all that was on his mind was his job and job security and and what's happened here and so um as the flight went on there was great difficulty and and great turbulence and to the place where it seemed like it was pretty certain this plane was going down it was going down fast and he recognized that that meant that he was going to die that his life was going to end in a matter of moments And he said that what he found was that he wasn't thinking about his job, he wasn't thinking about the CEO, he wasn't thinking about job security, he wasn't thinking about any of those things. At that moment, he was thinking about his family. That is what his his mind turned to. Not to anything else other than his family. He said that when you really get down to it, the bottom line is not so much your social connections, it's not so much your financial circumstances, it's not even so much your job. What really matters when you get to the bottom line is family. The Bible says in First Timothy 5.8, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the, fa- the faith and is worse than an infidel. And so we need to understand the importance of working towards having strong family relationships and of course the great authority on the family is the Lord Jesus Christ Uh, I've read his word today and and these words reveal to us that when it comes to marriage and family Jesus Christ is the great home builder he is the great home improvement expert and we know that the devil is a great home wrecker the devil has numerous tools in his arsenal to try to destroy family life. Divorce is an enemy of the family. Sadly, we're seeing where uh, one in in every two marriages is ending in divorce, and it's an epidemic in our country. We know that alcohol and substance abuse is the enemy of the family. Almost every situation where there is marital discord, when there are family problems, you'll find that alcohol or drug dependency is a feature of of those issues. Uh, We also know that materialism is an enemy of the family, and in our families, we have an abundance of material things, but that doesn't seem to have made very, very many of us happy. We have more cars, and we have less compatibility. We have more electronic gadgets, and, le- and yet we have less grace. We have more luxuries, and yet we have less love. We are finding out that our accumulating material things does not necessarily give us happy and stable families. And so, what does Jesus say about it? Please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. And let's look together at Matthew chapter 19, beginning there in verse 4, and we'll go through verse 6. And he answered, and said unto them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh, what therefore God hath joined together Let no man put asunder. You may be seated. So right there we see that Christ has given us the formula for happy, stable, fulfilling marriage and and family life. So we see here that Jesus is the great home builder. And you'll notice also in verse 4 there that he said to them, Have ye not read? Then he quotes from Genesis chapter 2. He's referring here to the formation of the original marriage and of the original family. And so flip over with me to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. And anybody that says that marriage is not God's idea, they need to read here in Genesis chapter 2. It most certainly is God's idea. And in verses 18 through 20. And the Lord God said, it's not good for the man, start over, and the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone, I will make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and he brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them, and whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of the ribs and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. And he brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man and therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh and they were both naked the man and the wife and were not ashamed so we see here that all the animals came before Adam and he gave them all names Whatever he desired to give them, that was the name given to that animal. Now, this process was not to see how smart or creative that Adam might be. God used this process to build within Adam a desire for a mate. And why I say that is when Adam saw all the animals and their respective mates, it dawned on him... That he was alone in the world. That there was not another like him. Now, certainly he had God. He had that amazing relationship, that amazing communion with the Lord. But there was not another person for Adam to share his life with. And notice what is said there in verse 18. This situation, God says that situation was not good. It was not good For Adam to be alone. And so God created the desire within Adam. God did. It was on purpose that God created desire within him for relationship. It was God's design to cause Adam to recognize he needed relationship. But then it was also God himself who created the answer to that. Who gave the solution for that. And so as they married here as we see right here that God God created all of this. And in verses 21 through 25, the Bible tells us that God formed woman from Adam's rib, and the two became one. So God planned, organized, and conducted this first wedding. The animals were the witnesses. There wasn't anybody else around. And on that day, God brought Adam and Eve together in holy matrimony. And don't you know that as they married, I have a feeling that Adam looked deeply, deeply into Eve's eyes, and he said to her, you are literally the only woman in the world for me. (laughs) And he had to mean it. There wasn't anybody else there. And poor Eve, she didn't get any choices. So, but we see here that the family unit was formed by God it wasn't man's idea it was god's idea the first marriage existed not because it was man's idea but because it was god's idea and so in matthew 19 4 through 6 the lord quotes from genesis 2 and he makes this strange statement he mentions it twice in the verses i have read to you he says in verse 5 they twain shall be one flesh and then he says it again in verse 6 wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh this is the same thing that was said in Genesis 2 24 so God uses some very strange math here how many of you all have tried to help your children with math in the last 10 years I don't know what I'm doing okay I just don't try I just say talk to your mom um, because I don't want my children to make bad grades and so you can ask my kids I do not help with math homework Uh, what we see here is some very strange math as well The Word of God says that God took one man, and he took one woman, so that's one and one, and he put them together, and they became one. One plus one equals one. That's some very strange math indeed. But now, if you want to carry out a real home improvement project, then you're going to have to do it God's way. And to do that, you must understand marital math, and that is that one plus one must equal one. It can't equal two. It has to equal one. If you want to have a fantastic marriage and family, then God says, do the math. And I want to help you do the math this morning. I'm going to talk primarily to husbands and wives about the husband and wife relationship here this morning. But if you're going to have a strong family of any kind, if you're going to have strong relationships between parents and children, siblings in a family, then you first have to have this strong marital relationship. And so everybody else is going to connect in here as well, but I want husbands and wives to listen very closely this morning. God says the way to have a strong family relationship is to understand that one plus one equals one. And so what does that mean? Well, first of all, you can get get to your notes now finally. First of all, one plus one equals one, Physically, man was made in the image of God. That's made clear in Genesis chapter 1 as well as in Genesis chapter 2. The Bible teaches us that God is a trinity. That is, that God is a Godhead that is made up of of three persons God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But man also, because we were created in the image and the likeness of God, God created us in a triune way. Every person is made up of body soul, and spirit. And we're going to talk about what that means this morning. In Genesis 2, 7, And the Lord God formed man in the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And so God made the human body physically. He breathed the spirit into it spiritually, and man became a living soul. So that one verse tells us that there are three aspects to every human being there is a part of us that is physical there is a part of us that is psychological and there is a part of us that is spiritual and so when a marriage takes place as God intended it to the man and the woman become one physically they become one psychologically and they become one spiritually and so we want to begin by exploring that physical portion of our marital lives There is a physical union that occurs within marriage. There are several statements about the physical relationship that exists between a husband and wife that I think need to be made clear when we look at at what God has created here in relationship between man and wife. And that includes the sexual relationship of man and wife. Sex is a gift from God. And sex is God's idea. And sex within the, the plan that God has is good. It's God's plan. Sex is, is, is from God. It is good when it is within the circle that God intends for it to be in. And that circle must be marriage. There is no other way. There's no other plan that we can come up with that meets God's design. God says it's marriage between one man and one woman until death do us part. God makes it so clear. And so I, I don't want to spend a great deal of time on the physical oneness, but I do think we have to hit the highlights and so first of all, there is a word about per- perversion here. In, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you not anymore such were past tense some of you but ye are washed but you are sanctified but you are justified in the name of the lord jesus and by the spirit of our god in those verses paul speaks of how some have perverted god's plan for human sexuality and he warns those who misuse sex that they give proof of their lost condition that they are not in a relationship with God. And that's clear to all mankind because of the way that they're living their lives. The fruit of their lives shows they don't have a relationship with the Lord. And so we also see that in Hebrews 4.13 that God speaks of those who have used sex properly in God's design. And so sex can either be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. Which it is depends on where it is found. And let me illustrate it in this way. Is mud a good thing or a bad thing? mud. Well, if you're wanting to have a mud volleyball game, not only is it good, it's a lot of fun. But if mud is on the carpet of my house, it's a bad thing, right? That's not any fun. How about fire? Is fire a good thing or a bad thing? Well, if fire is being used to cook my steak to the perfect medium well, well no, medium rare, medium rare it's a good thing. If it's being used to warm me in the winter, it's a good thing. If it's found in my attic or inside the walls of my house, it's a bad thing, right? So it all depends on where it's found. And so we're living in a culture today where people, especially young people, are being told that there is nothing spiritual about sex. And so people talk about casual sex, and we have a generation of people who have basically been brought up to believe that through time they just kind of evolved from some kind of ooze into some kind of ape into some kind of lower form of, of human to what we are now. And that basically we are just another animal. We evolve just like any other animal. And so because of that, then therefore they come from animals and therefore we can just act and live like animals. I mean, that's, what, that's the way that tracks that's, that's the end result. And so our generation has come to believe that unregulated sex between consenting partners, whoever and how many ever, is okay. And that's the generation and that's the culture we're living in. The philosophy is if it feels good, just do it. it, it, it what's the big deal? We're just animals. Well, look at what God says in 1 Corinthians 6.16. What? Know you not that, ye, that, that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. There's that word again, one flesh. That statement again. Something occurs within the sexual act that is spiritual. So whether it's between a husband and a wife, or whether it be just between two people who are not married, sex is never a casual act. Something takes place physically, something takes place psychologically, something takes place spiritually. And so it is not a casual matter ever. And so when there is a sexual relationship that exists outside of the bounds that God established, it's never going to end well. And I know many in this room can attest that that's, that's just the truth. It never ends well. It brings fear of disease. It brings fear of unwanted pregnancy. It brings guilt. It brings shattered relationships. When sex exists outside of the boundaries created by God... It reveals the true nature of your spiritual life and your relationship with him. And, and, and the fracture that is there is revealed. But also secondly here, there is a word about prevention. Look at 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee fornication. That word flee means exactly what you think it means. It means run. Run. You should never get yourself in a position where you can be compromised sexually. You should never expose yourself to any influences that would cause you to be unfaithful to your your spouse or your future spouse. Don't expose yourself to anything that that could hinder your walk with God and, and damage your testimony and harm that relationship with that person that God has for you to call husband or wife. So when it comes to sin and immorality, he says flee, meaning run. And what we're talking about is what we see Joseph doing in Genesis chapter 39. It's that word flee. The Bible says that Potiphar's wife got her eye on Joseph. And Joseph was a good-looking, I mean, he was a, he was a good-looking guy. And she got her eye fixed on him, and she wanted to have a sexual relationship with him. And so she burned in her lust towards that young man. And one day, it reached the place where she reaches out. And she says, I'm going to have you. And she grabs a hold of Joseph's coat. And rather than losing his testimony, rather than losing his his character, he leaves the coat behind and he flees. He runs for all he's got. And he gets out of there. And all she got was his coat. He didn't lose his character. Joseph fled. And that's what we have to do when sexual temptation comes, grasping at your coat. Lose the coat, but keep your character. Flee. Flee. Fornication. But then thirdly, there is a word about provision. 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 3. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband, and let the husband render unto his wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto her husband. These verses make it clear that sex is intended not only for procreation, but it's also intended for the pleasure of the husband and the wife. There's nothing wrong with the beautiful sexual relationship between husband and wife as they go about that physical oneness. There is something wrong in a relationship when physical intimacy is not a regular part of a marriage. Some people have the idea that God is is looking down from heaven and he's saying, hey those folks are having fun, knock it off. But that's not how God is at all. God is pleased when we, his people, find pleasure in the means that he has ordained for that pleasure. And so secondly, One plus one equals one psychologically. So not only does a married couple become one body, but we're also told that they become one soul. We each possess a physical nature, and we have our our psychological nature as, as well. And that means that you possess an intellect, which is you think, and you have emotions, and you feel. You have volition, meaning you make decisions. You have a will, and you exercise that will. But when we're married, we become one physically with our mate, but we also become one with them mentally. And so it is in a marriage that the partners work together towards this whole matter of physical compatibility, psychological compatibility. And so sometimes... People will get a divorce, and they'll say that it's irreconcilable differences, that there's just, they're, they don't, they're not compatible. And that sounds foolish on the surface, but if you think about it, it's the fact. Some people simply cannot get along. They're not compatible. The problem comes in the fact that they rushed into marriage, and they didn't look at that. They didn't look at this. It's this psychological part, and yet they rushed into the marriage. Billy Graham used to say about him and his wife that they were happily incompatible. And I think that's true of most of us. So how do those two things mix? How do, you, how do you find a solution? Well, the problem that many couples experience is that they fail to factor God in to their incompatibilities. They try to do it on their own. So they try to make it work using human energy. And when it doesn't go to suit them, then they throw their marriage away like it's a piece of trash. Well, we're just not compatible. There's no sense of commitment. There's no absolute devotion. Where are the people who would rather die than allow their marriage to fail? There was a couple having all kinds of problems and they went to the marriage counselor and he tried very hard to to help them work their problems out. But finally, in exasperation, he just said to them, isn't there anything that you two have in common? And the wife quickly spoke up and says, well, there is one thing. Neither of us can stand the other. But what we're talking about here is achieving psychological oneness. So I want to warn you of the danger of modern secular psychology for just a moment, because there's a place for psychology when it's under the authority of God. There's great research that's been done. There's, There's great things that can be learned there. But I want to warn you that you must make a distinction between what you hear as the opinion of man and what is based upon the word of God. Dr. Phil may do a lot of good, but Dr. Phil is not one of the books of the Bible, Dr. Phil is only right insofar as he is agreement with the Word of God and what the Word of God has to say. Dr. Phil may give good advice sometimes, but it's not good advice unless it's according to the teaching of the Bible. So you must always ask yourself the question, whatever the information is, wherever you got it, how does this square with what the Word of God, how does this square with what the Bible has to say on that subject? And so first we see intellectual oneness the key word there is the word communication to develop intellectual oneness oneness of mind and thought there must be communication and I'm going to admit right up front that us men are normally the big problem here Uh, we're not the best communicators my wife told me that yesterday Um, we're just not that great at it many times and so uh, we, we don't communicate our feelings like we should many times and of course it can also work the other way there was a lady who went to the pastor Because she wanted a divorce from her husband. And during the counseling with the pastor, he asked her, well, do you have any grounds? And she said, well, yeah, there's about three acres just right outside of town. Preacher, you've been there. He said, no, what what I mean is, do you have a grudge? And she said, no, we we don't have one, but we do have a carport. And trying a little different tactic, he said, no, like, does your husband beat you up? And she thought about it for a minute. She said, well, no, I get up at 6. That's at least an hour before him. (laughs) And the preacher said, no, what I'm asking you is, do you feel like you have a case? She said, you know us. We don't have a case. We have a John Deere. (laughs) And finally, in exasperation, the preacher said, ma'am, what I'm trying to ask you is this. Are you and your husband having troubles? And she said, oh, yes, preacher. We're having lots of troubles. the preacher said, well, like what? And she said, well, the problem is, is my husband. He simply can't communicate. That's the end of it. (laughs) So let me just give you a few thoughts on communication. First, learn to listen to the other person. I've been told that the best idea is for me not to look at the television while my wife is talking to me. I'm going to give you as that, that as a hint today as well, okay? It might be a good idea to lean in and to listen. Uh, when I talk to uh, couples that are about to get married, I tell them, if you want to have two chairs, if you want to sit, you know, on the couch next to each other, but, but lean in and listen to one another. Uh, also, secondly, learn to handle your anger. We have so much anger in our culture, and that anger begins to take place inside of the family even more so. And so when people are angry, it shows up in one of several ways. Sometimes they just blow up, other times they clam up, sometimes they bring up, meaning the past. But what well, we must learn to open up and learn to properly express ourselves to one another. But thirdly, learn to avoid certain words, and we know what those words are. We know what the word is that we can attack our spouse with and hurt them the deepest. We bring those words up during fights, we bring those words up when we want to make a point. we got to get rid of those words. we got to stop using the words that we know hurt our spouse. But then fourthly, learn not to dwell on the past. There comes a time when you must let the past be the past and let go of the past. There comes a time when forgiveness kicks in and the past is allowed to stay there and we can begin to move forward. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you have a whole truckload of past that you've been hauling around in your marriage and in your family. And every time the issue comes up in your family, you drag that junk back out. You must learn... Not to dwell on the past and when it comes to communication between spouse spouses i want to give you some quick thoughts first be careful what you say secondly be careful how you say it thirdly be careful when you say it and then fourthly be careful why you say it but then also it speaks of emotional oneness the operative word there is consideration we must learn to be considerate of one another. There are three basic needs every individual has. Every person needs to be loved. Secondly, every person needs to be respected. They, they need to feel like they have self-worth, like they're a person and somebody cares about them. But then thirdly, every person needs to feel appreciated. They need to feel like what they're doing matters to someone and that someone appreciates the things that are being done. And that's expressed. So listen, all, there's always... A measure of incompatibility between spouses. None of us are completely compatible. But we can work towards achieving greater harmony in our marital relationships. So married couples become one physically. Married couples become one psychologically. But then thirdly this morning, one plus one equals one spiritually. You are more. You are more. What do we mean by that? You're more than a body and skin and bones and organs. You are more than a soul with thoughts and feelings And with drives and desires, you are also spiritual. And that means you have a spiritual nature. It means that you have the capacity to relate to God. And if you don't understand the spiritual component of your marriage and family, you may have everything else in your family. And you'll have a gnawing feeling that there's something still missing in your relationship, something that's just not there. What's missing is spiritual oneness. I believe that the most important thing that we need to learn in our marriage and family is that we need to be like Jesus. Now, How does being like Jesus Christ relate to marriage and family? Well, the Bible says in Ephesians 5.25, very clearly, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He's saying that in our marriage relationships, we have to learn to love one another the way that Jesus loves us. How did Jesus love us? Jesus loved us sacrificially. He gave himself for us. He gave himself for the church. Christ loved the church. We must then l- learn to love like Jesus loved. And that's why God forbids save people from marrying the lost, in 2 Corinthians 6:14, "Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness." Unless the Spirit of God dwells in the heart of both spouses, the marriage will never be all that God desires for it to be. It will never be all that it could be. And even when both partners are saved, it's still hard to love your mate the way that Jesus loved the church. And I want you to listen very carefully because it's real hard for you to love your mate the way that you should all the time. And it's not for the reason you think. It's hard for you to love your mate not because of your mate, but because of you. Did you know that most of us are just selfish at the core most of us enter into marriage and family with the wrong idea we come in asking what can this marriage do for me rather than asking what can I do in my marriage to make my spouse greater and closer to Christ and I've watched so many couples in the churches where the Lord's allowed me to minister. And they come in for counseling, or, or especially these young couples who come in, engaged couples, and they come in all goo-goo-eyed, and, and you know, oh, we're getting married. And, and I ask, well, you know, what, what are the differences and points of view that, that you have between, you know, one another? And they say, oh, we don't have any differences. We just love each other, can't wait to get married. And I think, oh, World War III is about to break out. Most couples enter into marriage like two ticks on a dog. Two ticks on a dog, because a tick is a parasite, and what that tick does is it finds a host, it finds a dog, and it attaches and it sucks the blood out of that dog, and it doesn't give anything back to that dog. It just sucks the life out of the dog. The problem in many of these marriages is you got two ticks and no dog. And so they're just attaching themselves to one another and sucking the life out and giving nothing back in return. And it ends in disaster. And so what we need To understand is that you are his. That's the second thing here I want you to understand. You are his. The number one problem in marriage and family is selfishness. And the marriage becomes more about me and my needs and what I want to think with absolutely no regard to the spouse. And this is a recipe for disaster. But also it is the exact opposite attitude that Jesus demonstrated when he died on the cross for those that did not deserve his love, for those that did not deserve his grace. The best thing that could ever happen in our homes is for both husband and wife to become more about the other. And how does that happen? Because we become more about Jesus. When our relationship is, is going towards Christ and not just towards one another, we become one spiritually. And It becomes more about us growing in Christ and therefore we become more about one another. We must learn to love our mate and love the family as Jesus loved the church. Some married couples have been trying everything they know. And they've been to marriage counseling and they've read all kinds of books. But what they really need is a personal love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can read all the books you want. You can go to all the seminars you want. You can go to all the counseling sessions you want. But if you are a lost individual and you're trying to make your marriage work, it will not work. Because you can't do it in your own strength. Marriage is hard. You think Robert and I don't have hardships of course we do I am not a perfect person to live with now she is (laughs) she's perfect I'm not that's the problem in our marriage but it's not it's not doable unless you both have a relationship with Jesus unless you're both living that out daily as couples we need Jesus Some of us simply need to admit to the Lord that that we're a sinner and call on him to save our souls. And that is the great home improvement project that you need. If you ever get your heart renovated, it's going to change the spiritual temperature of your home and forever revolutionize your marriage. So let me make just a couple of suggestions. I think that what Christ desires for us to do is to institute some spiritual touch points in our homes. On a daily basis, have a time when you read the Word of God with your spouse and with your kids. Have a time when you pray over your kids. Those kids need to know they're being prayed for on a daily basis. Before they head out to those school campuses, they need to know they're being prayed for. That husband, he needs to know he's being prayed for as he goes off to work. That wife needs to know that she's being prayed for as she goes out the door. We need to pray for one another. And as we institute those things, then we can institute spiritual touch points within the church, within what we're doing here right here at Bryan'sburg Baptist Church. God bless you for being here this morning. But I want you to come back tonight. I want you to plug into small group Bible studies. Be a part of a Sunday school class at 10 a.m. You and your kids. Dive deep during Brinesburg Discipleship University on Wednesday nights at 7. Our strongest families have put down the deepest roots here in this church family. We have members of of our church who have literally built their family around the fellowship that is Brinesburg Baptist Church. And that does not mean that they don't have problems. I guarantee you they do. It doesn't mean that they don't have difficulties. I guarantee you they do. It doesn't mean that they haven't had times when their children have gone wandering away. But what it does mean is that they possess many of the resources that are absolutely necessary to survive and to thrive in the storms that will hit your marriage and family. And so if you will build your family around the church, then you have resources here. There's opportunity here for God to work mightily in your family. It'll make a difference if you establish a strong church relationship within your marriage and family. I'm calling on families this morning. I'm calling on married couples this morning to work towards oneness. Pray together. Study the Bible together. Love Jesus Christ together and watch him change you and your home for his glory. One plus one equals one. It's God's marital math and God has some some, some strange math there, but it's the only way it works. He takes two people from totally different backgrounds. He brings them together in Jesus, and he makes them one. He makes them one physically. He makes them one psychologically, and he makes them one spiritually. It's something only God can do, and it is a beautiful thing. But this morning, perhaps you need to come. Perhaps you don't have a relationship with Christ. And so that relationship's never going to be what it needs to be until you have the relationship with Jesus. I ask you to come this morning. Maybe you're a, a son or a daughter, and you need to come because you know, you know what? I don't, I'm not who God's calling me to be in this family because I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you need to come and you need to pray with you and your spouse. Maybe you need to bring mom and dad and, and, and kids and pray together as a family. Maybe you need to turn to that spouse this morning and apologize and say, you know what, I haven't been treating you with respect. I haven't been treating you with the dignity that God's called me to treat you with. Maybe there's other needs. Maybe you need to join this church family and plug in, put down deep roots, and watch how God uses that within the life of your family. Spiritual oneness, psychological oneness, physical oneness, it's all necessary if we're to have the marriages that God has called us to have. Lord Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the example of what it means to have strong, vibrant, growing families, Lord. And thank you for blessing Brinesford Baptist Church with those kind of families. But Lord, we all know that we can take the next steps there uh, to be even more of what you've called us to be. And Lord, I pray this morning for, for husbands and wives that are, that are going through difficulties. Lord, I pray for, for families where there's struggle and, and turmoil. Lord, I, I pray that you would touch them and, and, and work in their midst as only you can. But also, Lord, this morning I pray for for the spouse. I pray for for the child this morning. I pray for the adult this morning, uh, who may be single and they're lost and they need a relationship with you, Lord. I pray that today you would do that work within them that only you can do, Lord. That you would re- help them to recognize their sin and their need for a Savior, Lord. They would cry out to you for salvation, and that they might be saved even today, to your honor and glory. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand in.